This is a Watchdog Morning Show Rewind. Here's Howard Monroe. Let's welcome to the show Tom Squidieri, our national correspondent. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. I'm going to apologize on air for the snafu last week. I'm sorry about that. I uh, thought I sent you a note, Howard, and I was on the last-minute trip with the Secretary of Defense, which was great, but I didn't get a chance to call in, so I apologize for that. That's we're, we're, just concerned right about you. we're just we're just concerned about you. I said, I hope Tom's okay. You know, Tom never. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you never miss without either alerting me to it, and you know, I, mean, I didn't get yeah. the email. Yeah. I didn't, you know, hope he's all right. But you were okay. You were just traveling. I'm Anything okay. Exciting? As a matter of fact, yeah. As a matter of fact, I guess I'm really okay because the secretary developed COVID on the trip, and I didn't get it so far. <laughs> I'm knocking on wood here, so I guess I'm okay. Yeah, it was a good trip. Uh, I'll, I'll do it briefly because, you know, it's just important. Uh, he went to Germany uh, to do what's called a change of command ceremony, Howard. The new general took over for U.S. Africa Command, which is important. It gets the least funding of all the com- combatant commands, but that's where terrorism is at the worst and growing. So it's an interesting dichotomy. And then he flew to Latvia, a small Baltic nation, which is on the front line against the war in Ukraine early support for Ukraine and fearful of Russia moving west into them. And there was it was a trip that had was long in the making. The last time the defense secretary went to Latvia was 1995, Secretary Perry. So the Latvians were eager to have a defense secretary come, and it was a nice – the whole trip was only three days to both places, so it was a, a lot of movement, but both both important stops. So that, that was good. And was I, he, I forgot, was of course, well how far north he was. Well, was he, well he was very well, well received. received when he came? Yep, okay. I mean, in Latvia, I mean, he had meetings with the president, the prime minister, the defense minister, and, um, you know, were very well received. Uh, the defense minister also met him. He stopped, he, Secretary Austin, stopped at a Latvian air base on the way to Riga, the capital, where there are U.S. troops on the base, and both the Latvian troops and the U.S. troops were there, as well as the Latvian defense minister. Very nice uh, reception, good kind of free-flowing conversation with all the troops. It was a very uplifting trip from a point of view of here's the Secretary of Defense who is well-regarded, making a, a trip, you know, that doesn't produce anything immediately, but but it reinforces the good nature, goodwill nature between the Latvian government and our government. And, of course, as I said earlier, Latvia has been a very important player, not only against the war in Ukraine and Russia, but against China as well, leading the European nations and standing up to China, this small nation, you know, so... Um, I forgot, Howard, that uh, Riga, the capital of Latvia, is is much more north than than Wheeling or Washington D.C. And uh, the summer light didn't end until about 11 p.m., which was great because by the time I got done with my work, I was still able to go out and walk through the beautiful, beautiful old town of old town section of Riga, which is just breathtakingly beautiful. So it was a quick trip, but but a good one, and of course. As I was telling Bob, it, it helps. Uh, it helps you know keep contact with the Pentagon people because on the plane you get to sit and chat on background with some of these officials that you don't have access to normally. Hey, all right, I'm curious. Uh, I would assume that mm-hmm. on a trip like that, the uh, other countries are more concerned about the war in Eastern Europe and those things, Ukraine, Russia, and so on, than they are paying attention to Donald Trump's troubles. Is that a fair assessment? That's totally correct. I, I mean, this trip here, uh, if there was any politics about U.S. politics, it was discussed, you know, behind closed doors out of our earshot. But this trip was, uh, you know, primarily uh, to talk about Ukraine uh, and the war in Russia. 
I'm sorry, the, the Russian war against Ukraine. In Ukraine. And a little bit probably in Ukraine, yeah. And, and, and probably a little bit about uh, uh, China and, and concerns about that. Uh, there's going to be more troops going into these countries, rotating in, which was a concern of them. Yeah, long ago, the three Baltic nations, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, they're part of NATO, and they were designed to be the tripwire nations. In other words, if the Russians invaded in these countries, that would trigger then NATO intervention. They said, no, 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 we don't want to be the tripwire. We want to be the line of defense, so help us defend ourselves. It's, you know, it's a different you know, different envisioning of what their role is. And, of course, no one wants to be the country that's overrun and then have to be fought over. They want to stop the Russians. So that was a shift in NATO person persons going, NATO command, uh, looking at those three nations, how to rotate troops in. And then the U.S. has increased what they call these rotational deployments. They're not currently based there. And that gives U.S. forces more of them the chance to sort of be on a front-line condition like that, training with the Latvians and the Poles and the other nations, uh, other militaries of that part of the world. Um, so ever they're more experienced, should they have to be there in a different situation? Well, let's bring it home here because we yeah. we have kind of pushed Ukraine off the front page, I think, a little bit here. The last couple of weeks has been focused to a large extent on politics, primarily on Donald Trump, Mar-a-Lago, yeah. Florence, and so on. But before I get to that, let's talk about the politics of today. Uh, today is the uh, primary day in Arizona where Liz Cheney is running for um, re-nomination. Wyoming. Wyoming. Sorry, Wyoming. Part, pardon me. Yeah. Yeah, we, where Liz Cheney. Yeah, yeah. It is a big day, Howard. And it's Wyoming and Alaska. I forgot about Alaska, which is also where Senator Murkowski is on the ballot, who is also uh, in Donald Trump's uh, you know, target list. Uh, those are two of his least favorite members of the House and Senate. Liz Cheney, as you say, is far behind the polls. Uh, she's 20 points behind, I think, the latest poll in Wyoming. She's probably not going to win the primary there. Um, and and uh, Murkowski, she's going to probably benefit from a new electric system, electoral system up in Alaska, Howard, where it's, it's uh, the top two finishers, regardless, you know, will then go and meet in November. So she doesn't have to win the Republican primary per se. She can come in second and still be then on the ballot in the fall, which then will help her get votes from, you know, Democrats and independents, perhaps. So, yeah, but you, I think Cheney's done as a House member this time. Yeah, I can't conceive of any way, given the polling numbers and given where the party stands on and where she mm-hmm. stands, uh, you know, as really one of the key spokespersons against Trump in the uh, January 6th committee, she's she's doesn't have much, much, much shot. You got to give. I have to give her a huge amount of credit, though, for standing up, knowing she's destroying her career, uh, or at least uh, her career up to the moment. Uh, right. But doing the right thing in January six. You got to give her a lot of credit for that. Yeah, there's a rumor that she says she's thinking about running for the GOP presidential nomination in 2024, in large part to have a kamikaze mission to just make sure Trump doesn't get it. Uh, so you know, her goal is to make sure Donald Trump is no no longer being able to be president of the United States again. And that's very, for some people, that's a very laudable mission. As you say, it destroyed her political career, certainly for now. She's not going to get reelected to the House. She was ousted from her House leadership position early on. Um, and, and even though, you know, her father was a, the vice president, also he was also the congressperson from that state before her. Uh, I think that this is the temporary end of the Cheney run in, in uh, Wyoming. 
There is, of course, the possibility Donald Trump may not be able to run in 2024, Liz Cheney regardless, <laughs> simply because of what seems to be coming out of Mar-a-Lago and the federal investigation there, as well as a few others as well, but certainly that one. Um, it seems to me, as I mean, I hear all the arguments from the Trumpers. Uh, I hear all the arguments from Trump and his team about why this is a witch hunt and why uh, you know, he has the power to declassify whatever he wants to, but uh, it, this certainly doesn't look good for, for the president at the moment, does it? I, I think it doesn't. Uh, there's, a, there's so much going on, and as always with Donald Trump, there's no clear line. Let's talk about the passport seizures that uh, yeah. were reported. That, uh, I think that it seems that those – this is what – going back to what you are saying about free speech on ads, Howard, this is uh, the challenge of free speech and too early reporting. And so, okay, there, there probably was, it seems, three passports were taken by the FBI as they collected material. It seems that they were taken almost by accident because they were in some of these boxes and they were, you know, part of the material was collected and they weren't sifted through carefully, that carefully, when they were being collected. The passports, two of them, according to reports this morning, were expired, you know, and so then they were being returned and by the Justice Department, which contacted Trump and said, well, we'll return these to you. And then Trump said, I need these returned. In other words, he took it and made an issue out of it. That's how he is. Um, to your point of, uh, to my point, to your point about him running again, uh, you know what? He, he, a president absolutely has the right to declassify information regardless of whether it should be or not. And he didn't do that. And so, therefore, the materials that he apparently have take, took, apparently took with him that were classified are still classified. That's the thing. If he had to classify them while as president, Rightly or wrongly, if he took them with him, there might not have been an issue. I don't know that. But, you know, these are the nuances that escape the conversation. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Trump, and I think Trump is right up to a point. He, he says he can declassify, uh, the president can declassify anything. Yes. And that is true, but not just sort of by waving his wand and saying, well, this is declassified. I'll take it home now. There is a process. There is a procedure. And right. while he can do that, the question I think one of the questions will be, did he do it properly? Um, he didn't do me, it at Tom, all. The, no, how he, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. That's the point. He didn't do it. That 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 was the whole argument that he didn't do it at all, let alone properly, as you point out. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm not arguing with you. It's like you know, had they been declassified properly, as you said, there wouldn't have been there, there would have been another issue. Should they have been, and what they going to do with them? That's a whole different issue. Okay. But, well, you know. I, I, I don't mean, I'm not yeah. arguing with you because I completely agree that, yeah. that what he's done is not appropriate. But Trump's team is arguing that Donald Trump has said, anytime I take anything home, I automatically, it is automatically declassified. Well, if I bring it home, consider to be declassified. <laughs> well, that's the point. It, it, it may, he may have that power, but there's a process. He can't just say. Uh, I'm taking this dossier home tonight, so I'm declassifying. You can't do it that way. Right, There's going to be exactly. a lot of arguing over all these these nuances, I guess, of, of top secret classifications. You know, we're both in the news business, and you you uh, you said something that made me smile at this end. You said, "Well, Trump's team said dot dot dot," and you know, let's let's create a list someday of what Trump's team Trump's team has said. <laughs> And compare it to what the reality is, uh, you know, uh, there's ballot fraud, there wasn't, you know, I mean, let's just go down the list. So you're absolutely correct. We're on the same, we're not arguing, we're just probably talking nuances here. 
Had it been declassified properly, this would have been a different issue, if an issue at all. But it doesn't seem to have been. And that is, and, it, and, they don't, and it's the issue of whether it was all the material was not taken out of the White House properly, classified or not, because in archives. And so there are these real issues that need to be resolved. And, you know, you mentioned, I think, at the start of the show, Howard, about how, you know, people, Democrats and Republicans, want the FBI and the Justice Department to talk about the affidavit. You know, this is a very interesting theory. And, we're, again, we're both in the news business, but I'm always a little wary about going into areas uh, of demanding to see affidavits and stuff like that because of the people who do the investigation. And we all, I remember years ago uh, when uh, some media organization that was considered a left-wing organization got a hold of the name of the CIA operatives in Greece and published those names. This was in the 80s, I think, or even the 70s. And it was very upsetting to me, not because I necessarily agreed or disagreed with what the CIA was doing in Greece, but I knew that you would put the, these individuals at risk, okay? And there's a certain responsibility in the media that we have not to do that unless it, you know, we don't put the names generally of rape victims, for example. We don't broadcast them or publish them for right. reasons that most people understand. And I, I think, you know, putting an affidavit out in public uh, to show who was involved, who brought these charges, how they got the information, you, you do risk some intelligence sources or that, and I think it has to be done carefully. I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but at least carefully. Well, you have, I mean, first of all, you are risking revealing sources that you don't want to reveal because it could create problems for the investigation. Let's also take a look at the vitriol that's come out from Trump supporters yeah. since the Mar-a-Lago search warrant was issued. Uh, I mean, there a lot of supporters are talking about killing people. They've already had the FBI. Uh, I mean, they already had the guy in Cincinnati that, you know, attacked the yep. FBI office. I mean, um, revealing sources, which the affidavit would uncover, uh, could put those people not just in, they could put them in literally in, in physical jeopardy for their lives, given the vitriol coming out of the Trump camp. And I'm not talking about Trump and his attorneys. I'm not saying that. But Trump followers have shown great anger and no no discretion in saying things like, well, well, somebody said we ought to have the open helicopter, take them on up an open helicopter and toss them out the doors, you know. So yeah, it's, no, it's I'm dangerous to, to reveal this stuff. I'm, I'm fully with you on that, and that's, and that's part of the consideration also in, in, in that. You know, these Trump, the Trump uh, supporters, and they're, they've been unleashed, and I don't blame anybody. I'm not putting blame on anyone. I'm making sure. You know, they're, they're operating on their own now, and, and uh, they, they can't necessarily be reined in by President Trump or even you know, or any of his people necessarily. Um, you know, it was interesting. I saw a story this morning, Howard, about the, those who are down in, outside of Mar-a-Lago, Trump supporters who are protesting what happened, and the Trump people have asked them to go away because they're blocking access <laughs> to Mar-a-Lago to the guests. You know, the guests, the paying guests. So please go away. Here, and they're not. Away. But, yeah, but they're, but they're not. The, the point the point of that is not to, you know, make fun of them or the Trump people. It's just they're there. They're, they decided they're going to say they don't care what the Trump people said. We're staying here to protest and support President Trump. So even that, you know, even that is, is hard to control. So um, <laughs> and, and the question that Bob Slider and I have been kicking around here the last few days is let's for a moment set aside the – technicalities and legalities and does he can he declassify it and all that sort of stuff and simply ask the question 
Why did he want to have all this information in Mar-a-Lago to begin with? What was the purpose yeah. of this? Yeah, you're, 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 you're really tempting me on this one, Howard. Um, I don't know why, and uh, I'm going to plead. I was out of the country. Ignorance on it. No, I'm just <laughs> pretending. Uh, it's, I don't know why uh, he wants these materials, wanted these materials, wants these materials. Now, let's, again, we don't know. I don't know the totality of what he had, and, and some of it may be you know, nostalgic. I mean, he has letters from Kim Jong-un, apparently, <laughs> Excuse me, in there, and, you know, maybe – he, you know, that was one of his temporary triumphs. I'm being serious about this. You know, it seemed like perhaps warmer relations would happen between our country and North Korea because of his initial efforts. Maybe he wanted to keep those letters as a reminder of what he almost accomplished. I'm being really serious here. I'm, I, I hope listeners, be, you know, get that in my tone. So there may be materials in all of that that I can understand why you want to keep it. Uh, Maybe he wanted to keep the documents from the Abraham Accords, which was a successful thawing of relations and spheres between. You know, there again, I'm trying to be positive. You're, at, you know, I'm responding to your question, but a lot of it, you know, on the opposite side, you know, I don't know what was in it. I, I'm really curious to know what was in that memo about the president of France. You know, I mean, that was that was got my attention. Uh, and so, uh, not knowing what was collected makes it difficult to answer that. But for highly classified materials, in other words, war plans or defense plans or nuclear stuff, um, having that material outside of an, in an area that's not secure, it troubles me. Not you know because people know he has it, agents of other countries or whatever know he has it. It could be vulnerable to theft or other kinds of intrusions. Or, I thought I did that very politically, Howard. Yeah, I you, 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 you walked the line very carefully there. I give you credit for that. The other option could be he's holding it for Putin. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that's another option there. We'll have to wait and there see. There are several options out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but things are, you know, what's the, what's the phrase? You know, things are getting serious now. I mean, this is getting, yeah. now we're into some pretty serious stuff, and we'll see how this all Now, let me, let me say one more thing about that, because you mentioned about, you know, we talked about 2024. I wonder if, you know, knowing what I've seen of Donald Trump, whether even if he was indicted, which I, I just can't believe that would ever happen, I don't think anything would stop him from running even if he was told he's not legally able to run. If he decides to run, I think he's going to run regardless. That's, that's, that's a prediction from me. <laughs> oh, God, Tom. Oh, that just makes me ill. Because I, I was gonna, when you began that, I was going to say, well, what might stop him is that – he could be prohibited by law from running again. You're saying he wouldn't care. He I would so. yeah. do it anyway. That's oh, right. Stop, right. Me, if Stop me if you can. Stop me if you can. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. That's possible. Anything is possible with Donald Trump. Oh, my goodness. All right, Tom. Wish we had more time, but i got to move on. i got some right. things to contend with. So always good talking to you. Glad you had a good trip. And we will talk to you again next week. Yep. Thanks, Howard. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Tom Squidieri, our national correspondent, checked in this morning here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Uh, he was with De- Defense Secretary Austin last week, who now has come down with COVID. Bob, I hope that cough he gave us right there at the end wasn't the beginning of his COVID. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Hope he's okay. Yeah, I, I didn't get it. I'm fine. <laughs> oh, boy. Listen to more interviews and rants from the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe on Apple Podcasts.